It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden. And Frank, is two in a row a winning streak? When is, uh, is three? Three's <laughs> official. Three's when it's officially a winning streak. Yeah, I don't know if uh, I don't know if the Bucks can be choosy at this point. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm just going through the through the, like the last you know 25 games or so, just taking a quick look. I mean, the last time they won two straight was against the Knicks and Grizzlies. Uh, which seems like an eternity ago. And, um, you know, beyond that, you have to then go back further to when they won uh, in Orlando and then at home against the Hawks. Um, so not not nearly enough uh, win streaks of late. And um, to find a, a win streak more than two games, uh, you have to go all the way back to when they beat, I guess this was right before the All-Star break, right? When they beat the Knicks in Milwaukee on that Giannis shot, then they went into Brooklyn, uh, beat the Nets handily, and then also took care of the Knicks in the uh, Giannis jumping over um Tim Hardaway game. So, uh, yeah, it's been it's been quite a quite a while uh, since we've had uh, a real win streak. And um, again, not going to be easy going on a West Coast road trip now after this game. But, um, you know, certainly as we were talking here before the before we started recording, I mean, um, again, the Spurs are not a, a great, great team, but this is a team that have been rattling off wins. There are obviously as well coached as you're going to find. And you know, they absolutely, Bucks absolutely needed to win this game, uh, especially given the lack of winning streaks, given the inability to beat teams like the Spurs, even at home. And um, obviously with uh, the neck and neck race you've got for the seventh spot and Miami with the news of Kyrie Irving now being out for a while, um, you know, again, I, this was this was not a sucks to lose because the Spurs are too good for that. But um, you really needed uh, a good performance, just especially the way you've been playing. And um, a, a fast start is what they got, which certainly I think a lot of us uh, were were kind of doing a double take on. <laughs> like, who are these guys coming out early, getting a fast start? You're a little bit further down on the Spurs than I am. I I mean they've rattled off six straight wins and like actual teams. Uh, they had Orlando. That's not where I should have started, but Orlando started the <laughs> six-game win streak, and then New Orleans, Minnesota, Golden State, Washington, and Utah, a 124-120 overtime win on Friday. I, I, again, there's no doubt that the Spurs have had some problems, and, I mean, a couple weeks ago we were talking about the possibility maybe they missed the playoffs, and uh, they just, I mean, kind of answered and rattled off six straights. So I, I thought this was a really good win for this Bucks team uh, to go out and beat this Spurs team who, again, 
aren't what what they used to be, but still, I think that's a really good team and uh, a really good win for the Bucks. And uh, I was trying to figure out, and I think we have a little bit of disagreement here, but as I mean, I think the first quarter I was really impressed with, and obviously uh, the third quarter where they outscored the Spurs 41-28, but I thought both of those quarters, 27-15 in the first quarter, 41-28 in the third quarter, that was when, I mean, we haven't seen – I'm trying to think the last time we saw Bledsoe, Middleton, and Giannis all cook kind of in the same game. And they had it going there where there was good ball movement, Bledsoe was catching on the move. That's something that we always talk about. No standing still, just keeping it moving. Uh, Jabari Parker was throwing passes behind his head. No look like he was Larry Bird. Like I, there. I just thought that was the the clearest groove they've been in offensively. And again, when you look at it by the end of the game. Giannis, 9 of 16 from the field for 25 points, 3 of 4 from 3. Middleton, 8 of 15 for 19 points, 2 of 5 from 3. And then Bledsoe, 23 points, uh, 9 of 15 shooting. Like, I don't think the most efficient or impressive nights for any of those guys. Like, we've all, we've seen better from all those guys individually. But just the fact that all three of them kind of had it going on the same night, you add in Jabari Parker, who had eight points and three assists in 18 minutes off the bench. Uh, Shabazz Muhammad, who had eight points in 10 minutes. Like, yeah, just when you throw all of that stuff in, it, it just kind of rounded into a, a really nice performance for this team. And uh, just one of the one of the t- I tweeted out during the game when you hear national folks talk about nobody wants to play the Bucks in the first round that's the team they think they're they're saying that about like the team we saw today is the team that they think other teams feared the the bucks of the last two to three weeks no no one should fear that team it it was terrible um but this team the way that they played today yeah that's a team that you fear just just because if if chris and eric have it going on the same night Giannis has it going i mean it's going to be really tough for you yeah i mean the i thought the interesting thing was um that uh, you know, you see the final score and you say 106, 103. Oh, okay. It was a much more defensive game than, than we've seen in the past, but that, that was really largely a function of the pace of this game. You look at the offensive and defensive ratings, the bucks continued to score at a high clip. And certainly the, the transition basketball was a huge part of that. They outscore the Spurs 25 to two uh, in transition. I think in the first quarter, was it the first quarter or the first half? It was 18 to nothing. There was some crazy yeah. start where the bucks um, just got out. And I mean, the spur, I mean, you can look at it both ways, right? I mean, the Spurs obviously don't like to run. They don't have guards who like to put up quick shots. They don't, you know, other than Patty Mills, they're, they're guards, uh, their ball handlers really don't shoot threes, which is obviously a huge handicap to have kind of nowadays with, with Parker and DeJounte Murray not being three-point shooters. And obviously, you know, we saw Aldridge has been great all year. Um, he was terrific again today. Um, and Pau Gasol gave the Bucks a lot of problems, especially when they went with the two-big lineup. Um, the Bucks really struggled to kind of contain both those guys. You know, Pau had 22 points, including, you know, seven offensive rebounds. Um, but you know, again, the Bucks were able to play the way that they wanted to play and were able to dictate the tempo for enough of this game. And, you know, like I, I actually I didn't actually say what the offensive defense rating was. 116 offensive rating for the Bucks again tonight. Um, you know, I'd have to double check how many straight games they've been 
in that range or higher because they've been scoring at will now for a while. But yep. again, a lot of those games were against, you know, relatively lesser teams, including uh, on Friday against the Bulls. Um, defensively, they were not great again tonight. Uh, one Almost 113 defensive rating, um, which surprised me just because um, the Spurs shot really poorly for long stretches of this game. I mean, they were four out of 17 from three. Um, Took, took care of the ball reasonably well, only 12 turnovers. Um, and again, the huge part was 20 offensive rebounds. Powell was seven of those, uh, four from Aldridge. Kyle Anderson had three, Danny Green had three, Rudy Gay had three. Um, you know, there were just a lot of plays where the Bucks were able to kind of force a, a point blank miss, force another point blank miss, and then, you know, the Spurs get like a third opportunity and put it in. And so, um, you know, again, I think early on the Spurs missed a lot of shots. And then the Spurs just, you know, again, I mean, this is, you know, if you'd want to talk, I mean, we complain a lot about the Bucks shot chart and where the Bucks like to play from. Um, you know, again, the Spurs live in sort of the crappy areas of the of the court, yep. and uh, a guy like Aldridge can afford to do that just because you know he can hit those mid range jumpers at a high clip. Um, you know, again, like I'm I'm still fine with Marcus Aldridge shooting turnaround fadeaway jump shots, right? I mean, yep. again, it's not like he's he's not going to hit sixty percent of those. Um, but uh, you know, I think especially with you know a guy like Parker. I mean, it's just funny watching Parker and Murray out there because it's just like, oh, I'm not worried about these guys even wanting to shoot three-point shots, you know? Yep. Like, you're so used to watching modern basketball, being worried, being always under pressure that the opponent point guard is going to pull up for three. And certainly Mills likes to do that, but Mills didn't do that today either. Mills really struggled, only had four points. Um, as, again, the, you know, I'd, I'd say if you want to talk about why did the Bucks win, well, certainly they got the crap beaten out of them by those bigs, but they, you know, couldn't have asked for probably a better or at least a, a worse night from uh, from the, the opposing guards. Just one for five from Tony Parker. Manu Ginobili also just one for five. Um, no one will accuse me of of jinxing the Bucks defense against Manu Ginobili. He, <laughs> he didn't do much today. Um, and again, Murray, four out of nine, did do some stuff in the fourth quarter. But um, again, like he lives in sort of the, you know, mid-range floaters and stuff like that where – yeah, I mean, I'll I'll live with guys, you know, your point guard shooting those shots rather than um, shooting, you know, uncontested threes and stuff like that. So it was definitely, um, you know, the Spurs are an interesting team right now. Um, and again, I'm 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 I would say, yeah, I'm definitely lower on them. I mean, I'm obviously sky high on Pop. You know, the fact that he's got them at 14, 43 and thirty one is is tremendous. Um, given you know they've been playing without Kawhi and they've had so much drama around that all year. Um, Aldridge has been really good, but you know, other than that, I mean. You know, you kind of you kind of go man for man. You know, if you go player by player, the Bucks roster versus the Spurs roster. You know, again, if you talk about like first, second, third, fourth, fifth options, I'm not sure at what point you'd say the Bucks have a better player, relatively speaking, at their slot. You know, because again, Aldridge is you know certainly better than anybody other than Giannis on the Bucks. But you know, you can kind of cancel out like everybody on that team, it seems. And again, they just do such a great job. Obviously big story is you know what they're able to do defensively they're second in the league and obviously you have to give the bucks a lot of credit because um you know again we've seen the the bucks score a ton of points against bad teams tonight they came out scored really efficiently against a very very good defense and um obviously uh that that they deserve a lot of credit for that right because we've been kind of wondering you know okay okay you're scoring against the grizzlies scoring against some of these bad teams um but can you do it against a better team tonight they did that i find it interesting that you say that because i feel like that's the case most nights where I think about the Bucks talent and yeah, that's I th- fair. I think most nights they do cancel it out. So um, I guess maybe it was just being a couple feet within pop that made me think like, Oh man, pop's great. Um, so 
looking at this game, I, I, I'm trying to think really what to circle. Um, but beyond those those big three guys, I, I think you saw some of the struggles that that this Bucks team tends to have. Uh, John Henson was was pretty solid for most of the night. Uh, he's a plus twelve on the night, ten points, six rebounds, four assists, a steal, three blocks. But you just know that he doesn't have the bulk for Aldridge and Gasol. Like both of those guys are legit seven footers that are thick and can just kind of push him around. And Thon gave an admirable effort, uh, but obviously he's just too small for those guys. And Zeller only got six minutes, and I don't know how effective he was in those six minutes. I mean, six minutes is tough to judge someone on. But I just thought you saw a bunch of those those things that come up with the Bucks that you're going to have those struggles that they're nine of 27 from the three point line. So they didn't really make all that many shots. Uh, the Spurs go to a zone in the second quarter. And um, I mean, both Giannis and Joe Prunty post game mentioned that they thought they got good looks when the Spurs went zone. Um, it happened to be a huge run for the Spurs that they were able to get back in the game and tie it up and eventually take a lead. But just I think other it's it's a weird performance because I think the things that the Bucks can do really well at times they did do really well and I guess that's just kind of having talented guys in Giannis Chris and Eric and then also turning people over and getting out and running like they did those things extremely well in those extremes to me were were kind of what won them the game rather than some larger uh everyone chips in kind of effort. Uh, maybe like they had with the Bulls where th- there was just not a lot going on in the starting lineup and the bench kind of wins in that game. This one, that wasn't the case. It was just those three guys having really nice nights and, and playing, I thought, really well, uh, and then eventually holding off the Spurs in the end. So I, I don't know. It's just kind of a kind of, I guess, a little bit of a weird one uh, for me, just to kind of watch them attempt to, to figure out how to win that game, um, despite having two quarters in the first and third quarter that I thought were just fantastic. Uh, the second quarter, though, they got, they got really messed up by that zone, and I don't know that I necessarily blame them. I, I know when we talked to Prunty game, he said that the zone is something that Pop has ran before against them, like uh, with some sideline out-of-bounds plays and stuff like that, but largely... Uh, I mean, there hasn't been a time where he's gone to it for, I don't even know how long it was tonight, seven, eight minutes. Yeah. Um, like that hasn't happened. Um, but I, I thought that uh, it, that was an interesting wrinkle that I can't, I don't remember. I don't know if in my entire professional career covering the Bucks, I've ever seen the, all of the possessions of zone combined are not greater than how much I saw zone played tonight by the San Antonio Spurs. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The, I just thought back to the Larry Kristoviak brief era because I, I think the Bucks 
ran a lot of it yeah. back then, which kind of makes sense given Kristovic was, you know, a college coach previously, uh, and the Bucks sucked at defense, and it was pretty <laughs> much like just throwing your hands up. Um, but yeah, I, I don't remember. Um, certainly, teams playing zone against the Bucks, I can't remember seeing it with any regularity in years. Basically, um, maybe I'm forgetting a, a game or something like that. But um, but yeah, it looked like the Bucks didn't really know sort of how to play through that and. Um, you know, uh, again, like, you know, it was interesting sort of the first half versus second half Shabazz Muhammad because, you know, he came out missing a couple badly, a couple of threes in the second quarter. Um, as you know, again, I mean, this is one of those things like, you know, you see that zone, uh, you know, the NBA, typically people are, you know, guys are just too good as shooters to, to zone defense in the NBA, you know, guys are just going to be able to get open and, um, and get shots. But, um, you know, the Bucks. I thought the personnel just in the second quarter just was not ideal. Um, you know, having Shabazz like sort of as a de facto sort of shooting guard, small forward, I just don't really don't really like it. Um, and, you know, like you said, like you said, I think I can't remember if you said this on there or before we started. But, um, you know, I think the Bucks said that, you know, they felt like they were getting some good shots. But unfortunately, you know, Shabazz pulling <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah, that Shabazz a... left wing three. You're just like, OK, that was the right yeah. shot and it was open. But ugh. wrong guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Jabari had an open three. I think Giannis had an open corner three. Um, you know, again, it was kind of funny. I was stuck watching the Spurs feed just because I'm I'm in the Spurs TV uh, coverage oh, yeah. area. And so I, I had the, the Bucks feed blacked out on League Pass. And, um, you know, the Spurs, the Spurs announcer were like, oh, the Bucks didn't get any easy shots. I was like, uh, Bucks That's got some very makeable true. shots. It was just it was just the wrong, the wrong guys. Yeah. Um, and and they just couldn't couldn't connect. But um, but you know again, give the Bucks credit. They they kind of weathered the storm. They they went behind um, a little bit there in that second quarter. Uh, they come back, uh, make a little bit of a run at the end of the first quarter, at the end of the second quarter, um, and then come out uh, like gangbusters to start that third quarter. Uh, Bledsoe with a three and a three point play. And um, you know Bledsoe, I thought they just they just couldn't keep him from getting to the rim, which I was just you know pretty surprised by again the Spurs you think of especially when they play. They can play big, um, that they can kind of crowd the paint. But uh, certainly it was interesting. Giannis had, what, I think Giannis only made three shots in the second half, two of them threes. Um, but Bledsoe was it. So they were able to kind of choke off Giannis's ability to get to the rim a lot in that second half. But Bledsoe, you know, was able to get, I don't know how many layups he had tonight. Yeah. But, um, you know, this is this is Bledsoe. Oh, and, and he cooked I'm, Bryn Forbes with that cross. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing, right? I mean, that's why Bledsoe, you know, I mean, for all the complaining that we do about Bledsoe, I mean, this is why he's still an above average efficiency scorer because, I mean, most point guards do not get as many layups as he does just because he can blow by guys. And tonight we saw him do it, um, obviously, pretty pretty regularly and 23 points on 15 shots, five assists. Um, you know, I thought the offense bogged down a bit in the late in the fourth quarter. I thought it was too Bledsoe centric, but he also hit some some big shots before that as well. When you know the basically the the uh, you know Spurs sort of gave him looks from mid range, and he was able to hit a, a jumper and a, and a runner that obviously were were pretty important to keep the Spurs at arm's length um, late in the fourth quarter. So um, so again, as you said, you know when you get fifty percent or better shooting from all three of Giannis, Chris, and Eric, you better damn sure score you know score efficiently overall, and, and certainly tonight, I mean really nobody else standing out from a from a scoring standpoint and so those three guys obviously really carried the load and um you know again uh important for them chris milton also uh you know really got going especially early in that fourth quarter and then 
I don't even know how many touches he had in the last five or six minutes. I think that was, you know, obviously everybody gets mad when Giannis doesn't get touches, but the fact that Giannis, you know, and Chris just didn't get a lot of touches late in the game, um, I thought was, you know, less than ideal because it seemed like Chris got to 19 points early in the fourth quarter, and I'm not even sure if she had any, if he had another shot after that. But um, 19.7 boards, four assists, a couple steals, uh, a block. Um, obviously a, a very solid all-around effort from Chris Melton, who, especially defensively in that first quarter, just seemed to be in the right Ooh. spot a lot, which yep. was was really good to see because obviously that's been one of the, you know, the I don't want to say nitpicks, but, you know, it, with Chris Melton statistically having a career year in, in most respects, that's obviously been something that's sort of blunted a lot of the optimism about Chris's season has been, you know, just the consistency of the defensive impact from him. And I thought tonight obviously was uh, was pretty encouraging. And, again, tough to look at really any of the the Spurs kind of key guys. And, and you know, nobody nobody had, like, any big games other than the two big guys. So um, certainly the, the wing defenders and the, and the guards defensively did a, did a nice job. I was going to say, we before we started recording, I mentioned how I thought the first quarter was one of – one of the best if not the best quarter I could remember from the Bucks in a long long time and you're like not the third quarter and to me the the first quarter was so impressive because for once the Bucks defense kind of looked like the Bucks defense where they were able to pick off some skip passes and they were able to get their hands on a bunch of stuff and just be active and then get out and run and I guess the the big thing for me here is I always have to remember that the Spurs aren't really – they're not like other NBA teams. They're like the Bucks, honestly. Like they're, The way that they run their offense is very similar. Like It's not going to be pick-and-roll heavy. It's not going to be looking for a bunch of threes. They are the type of team – and, man, just as I was thinking through the first time these two teams played, like just remember how good – we were all feeling about, man, this Bledsoe trade, look at how good they were defensively. They really held down this Spurs team. And, well, then after it, it wasn't quite as good. And I guess looking back on it, I think we recorded a podcast a week or two later and we were, we talked about this, that the Spurs offense is susceptible to this type of defense where they're not going to put you in pick and rolls and they're not going to just – bleed you to death on all of those where you're attempting to switch you're over helping you're not doing any of that you're just able to cover them trying to move the ball around and the more a team is moving the ball around through the pass the more chances you have to pick one off and the more skip passes like all of that stuff kind of plays into the bucks defense's hands and ultimately like you said the bucks didn't have a great night defensively a 112 uh, defensive ra- 112.7 defensive rating for the Bucks. Like that's not great, and this was a team that you know they they can play well against and is somewhat susceptible to their defensive style. So um, I guess just something to kind of keep in mind and think about um, going forward. Uh, do you want to talk about the Bulls game briefly, or do you have something else with this one? No, I, I think it's just you know it, it's interesting. I wasn't looking at the box score during the game, but it, it's still interesting that the Bucks were able to get that many fast break points despite the fact that. 12 Spurs turnovers isn't a ton. I mean, only no. six, only six Bucks steals. Um, and it's not like the Bucks did a great job defensive rebounding. They were really bad there. Only 58% defensive rebound rate, which is, again, you want to be at least at 75%, hopefully above 80% there. So um, interesting that the Bucks were able to get so much going in transition in spite of, uh, you know, not really having the usual stuff that feeds your break. Um, and again, I think especially against the Spurs team that you think of, I mean, they're a great defensive team. You don't think of a Spurs team, 
being neglectful or undisciplined getting back in transition but obviously uh, you know the Bucks are a lot of credit for pushing the tempo pushing the tempo sort of intelligently and you know again there you know Bledsoe because the game high with five assists nobody else had more than that um, but still 27 assists overall as a team you know which is pretty solid they've been you know getting tons of assists of late and again I think just you know uh, speaks to the fact that they were kind of being smart and pushing the ball intelligently. And um, obviously, you know, that's a, a lot of time to refrain when the Bucks do kind of get bogged down offensively um, is that they don't get enough easy baskets in transition. Well, today was one of those days where uh, obviously they did a really nice job. And, and that really was the top, probably obviously looking at the final margin. That was the difference in the game. All right. Uh, the Bucks also won on Friday night, 118-105 over the Chicago Bulls. Um, that one is not going to be as much fun to discuss, uh, so I would assume we're not going to spend quite as much time on this one as we did the Spurs game. Uh, but the Bucks get a win in Chicago uh, without Giannis, and I think any time you get a win without Giannis, I, I, it doesn't count for double or anything, but it's it's big. <laughs> Being able, he's so impactful, um, and obviously you saw that in the Spurs game as he flew around and was able to defend all these different people. Like you can see how impactful he is. So to get a win without him it is meaningful, even if it is a, a team tanking like the Chicago Bulls. So I thought that was a, a win that they needed and one that did end up mattering. And it's funny. Uh, I always tweet the, like the halftime scoring leaders and the post game scoring leaders and stuff like that. And I didn't have a starter in my my tweet for that one. I had three bench guys, and I I think you can maybe argue Chris Middleton should have been in there instead. But I mean, I thought that was the story of the game. Shabazz Muhammad, twenty one points on nine of twelve shooting, five rebounds, three assists, two steals, and a block. Tony Snell, eighteen points on six of six shooting, four of four shooting from the three point line, two of two shooting from the free throw line. Um, only other thing he had in the box score was a personal foul, but those shots just kept being big, and he even hit a a step back one legged fader, and it was just like, okay, Tony Snell is is feeling it. Um, but he gets eighteen, and then Brandon Jennings, sixteen points on five of eleven shooting, two of six from three, four of four from the free throw line five assists, four rebounds, a steal, and a block, and a turnover. So uh, to me, that was that was the game, was those three guys and Jennings talking junk to campaign and Shabazz Muhammad <laughs> talking junk to anybody else that wanted it on that Bulls roster. Um, and I joked with you before, I don't know what the official nickname of Jennings and Monte Ellis ever were, Swag Twins, Swag Brothers, Swag twins. Yeah. like whatever yeah. it was. Like this feels like – the 2.0 version, except they're actually used in like the way, uh, not even the way that they should be, because it should probably be less minutes, but like them coming off the bench, like, okay, that can work. Not them starting and playing 35 minutes and each taking 20 shots a game. Like uh, it, it was to me, uh, and you mentioned this too, when we were tweeting back and forth about it on Friday night, like that was one of those games this year where you just cackle just cackle watching the game like uh, how ridiculous of a thing are we watching at this moment that the Bucks don't have Giannis Middleton isn't having a great game Bledsoe's in foul trouble and yep Brandon Jennings and Shabazz Muhammad that's who won the game for the NBA playoffs are right around the corner and locked on NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama 
Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah, I mean, you look at them today, they got 26 points from the bench on Sunday. On Friday, they got 70 points from the bench. Um, you know, really night night and day between those two games. Um, and, and again, I mean, look, like Jennings, I mean, we were obviously skeptical of what Jennings still had left in the tank. But, um, I, you know, every time he gets a new 10-day contract, he comes out and has a game that arguably was the most important of anybody on the court. You know, yep. first game of the 10-day, he, you know, again, helps the Bucks avoid blushes against Memphis was probably the Bucks' best player in that game, or at least, you know, the sort of swing, the swing vote, I would say in that game, yep. you know, Giannis wasn't great, but still had numbers in that game. You know, the guy that, that kind of flips the coin a little bit. Um, and on Friday, again, you know, 16 points on 11 shots, five assists, a steal, a block, just one turnover. Um, you know, that was really important because Bledsoe had, I mean, what instantly had two files yep. and then picked up a third file. He only plays 20 minutes. Um, uh, you know, kind of felt like another frustrating game from Bledsoe. Although you look at the final numbers, it was kind of like classic Bledsoe. He plays 20 minutes, 13 points on eight shots, four assists, four rebounds, two blocks, no turnovers, plus 13. You know, it's sort of like sure. you get frustrated with some of the shots he takes, but then you you know look at the box score. And it's like, oh, he was actually efficient again, and um, you know he had kind of some some amazing key plays late in that game as well. But um, but yeah, certainly I think you, you kind of run it back. Certainly Jennings was big. Tony Snell, fun to see him. Um, you know have a big game against his former team uh, with those 18 points on perfect shooting and Shabazz Muhammad, you know, a guy that I had no interest really in. I, again, I, I still question how Joe Prenti is using him a lot of the time playing uh, in surprisingly many cases with Giannis and Jabari. Again, I, I think you need more room um, for Giannis. I, I, and again, we've seen like Shabazz is not really a floor spacer. Um, he's a guy who wants to be able to put on the floor and, you know, he's got like a nice little kind of crafty, you know, eight to 10 foot little lefty floater push shot. Um, and he can get to the rim and he's a good offensive rebounder for, um, for his size. Um, and Friday, I think we saw that in, in more obvious evidence. Cause you know, again, he was sort of directly soaking up a lot of those Giannis minutes. Um, and in 20 minutes hitting nine out of 12, you know, again, bulls suck. So, <laughs> you know, uh, plenty of <laughs> asterisks, but, um, again, you know, you, you pay, you, you, when you get these like 15th man, 14th man type guys, which obviously Jennings and Muhammad, they're the last guys in the door. Uh, you, you know, if they, if they contribute to any wins and they don't really hurt you otherwise, um, that's a win, you know, in terms of like the signing on certainly Mohammed, if, you know, as long as he's, I think used correctly. Again, I, I, I shudder to see him out there playing like shooting guard, especially with Jabari and Giannis. It just thinks that doesn't make any sense to me from a spacing standpoint, especially with, you know, Sterling Brown struggling to even get minutes of late. But, um, but again, you know, he played really well on on Friday and helped them get a win. And um, certainly, you know, I'm sure John Horst and Dave Dean and Mill Noon are going to feel pretty good that, you know, Jennings and Mohammed, these last two guys that arguably, you know, they, they could have just sat on their hands and done nothing. They could have just gone with who they had. Um, they went out and got those guys and those guys obviously made a, made an impact. So, um, again, don't want to put too much of a, a point on it because it was the bulls. Um, <laughs> but you know, again, uh, I'm sure it was, it was nice for those guys to feel like they were part of it. Good for the bench to feel like, um, you know, they were a big piece of this and 
Um, obviously, kind of night and day between the, the Bulls and Spurs in pretty much every way. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but it was good to see. I thought. I mean, the, the, I think the, the biggest bummer about Friday was uh, Jabari Parker finally starts and just kind of wasn't was pretty invisible. You know, had yep. a couple of nice dunks, but uh, on non dunks, he was one out of eight. <laughs> Hit an early corner jumper and then kind of just wasn't wasn't very involved and really didn't have much of an impact. They'd have four assists in 30 minutes, six points. Um, he had six points in the first half or first quarter on, on Sunday, um, but really didn't make a big impact Sunday either. So um, again, I mean, these are, these are pretty important data points, you know, on Jabari, especially cause you know, we, you know, obviously you hope that Giannis is going to play the rest of the way. Um, and again, there's just not a lot of chances for Jabari to start. I don't know if he's going to get another start all year. And so uh, I guess you could say, you know, especially against the Bulls, a team that does have calf space, maybe not a bad thing for him to look un, uninspired or, or not particularly great. If he drops 35 against the Bulls, maybe maybe that makes him think twice about uh, about him this summer. But um, but yeah, that that was the biggest bummer is Jabari kind of not really looking particularly involved um, these last couple of games. But you know, again, once once you get Giannis and and Middleton Bledsoe back in the fold, altogether playing well. I mean, even Jabari, you don't necessarily need. It's funny uh, thinking about that game, and you mentioned like Jennings kind of swinging two two games this year. And on Wednesday, I had asked Prunty pregame um, just a little bit about you know what what you're looking for from Jennings, and you know obviously he's not going to have another like huge triple double type of game, uh, but there's there's things that he can do and sort of things that he can help out with. Like, what are you looking for from him? And Prunty deadpans and looks at me and says, we're not getting another triple double. And I was (laughs) like, Oh my God, that's a great joke. Um, That's well done, Joe. Uh, But it it was sort of funny. Like as he was going off in Chicago, I was kind of sweating. I was like, Oh, is he about to get a triple double and make me look like an idiot? Come on, Brandon. Um, But yeah, he, he, he absolutely did swing those games, and the, you have to give him the credit for, for what he was able to do. And um, I guess switching gears to Jabari, yeah, it's been a, a little bit of a, a little bit of a struggle as of late for him. And I don't know, it's kind of it's kind of been strange to to see, especially in that Bulls game. You just think of the the type of setting that could allow for Jabari to really go off. Like he's a great scorer and just about every setting and man just for for the bulls who don't play a ton of defense for him not to go off in 30 minutes you you kind of would have thought uh, i mean it, it's surprising because that seems like the kind of night where where he would go off so that was kind of surprising to me and i don't know we uh, we kind of threw out this theory but i don't know if we actually committed to it but when we were talking about how when you think about Jabari and what he's done this year, that's so often we think about what he's done in the first half. When he comes in in that first half, he's really able to figure out where his spots are. He's able to get the shots off that he's comfortable with. He's able to get a little bit of a flow. And then in the second half, he comes in and it's not there. Like he's coming in, I think, with different people. Maybe he's coming in with a lesser a a unit against him that isn't quite as much a bench unit like there's just kind of a a difference between those two and I I do wonder if starting for one game kind of 
threw some of that off where he was just like, okay, well, where do I get my points here? And I know Giannis wasn't playing, but how do, how do I work here with Chris and Eric? And now Eric's out and Brandon is playing point guard. Like, how do I kind of figure some of that out? And then as you like continue to work through that, I thought in the first half against the Spurs, he was really good. Like he was, he hit a couple shots. I think all eight of his points came in the first half. Maybe I'm wrong there, um, but I think uh, uh, certainly a majority. Like, and it was kind of the same thing. He he knew where his spots were. He knew where he needed to be aggressive. He knew uh, where he could get his shots. And then in the second half, uh, again, he only plays 18 minutes on the night, so not a huge sample size there. But I don't know it. I I wonder if one there's something to feeling the comfort and feeling exactly where he should be and what he wants to go after, and then also I do wonder about his legs. Like I know he said that there is no fatigue and that's not something that he's worried about and he doesn't really feel a difference, but at the same time I do wonder about um, where they are because with Chris Middleton last year we talked about it all the time. Like he was a hundred percent, but his one hundred percent last year is not the same as his 100% this year. Like you can only get so far coming back from an injury in season. Like there's going to be probably some level that you still need to get later on. And I do wonder, we've seen no problems with Jabari really athletically. Um, but I do wonder if, if fatigue is starting to play a, a factor in the, the way that he's playing from half to half and from game to game. Yeah, I mean, his. I think we, when we looked at his numbers or what, like a week ago or whatever it was, you know, he's playing a little bit less, I think, in second halves and has generally been better in first halves, which oftentimes is is what happens, you know, with, with bench guys, you know, guys who are not closers, right? Because that's where, you know, in the fourth quarter, the, the coaching staffs are generally going to lean towards going back to the guys that you want to close with for longer periods. So, um, so yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, again, I, I mean, you know, you watch like, you know Jabari and and somebody like Shabazz Muhammad, and it's just kind of a, a scary sight in some ways because it's like I don't have any doubt that Jabari is a more talented player than Shabazz Muhammad, but um, you know like it, it's a fine line, right? I mean Shabazz Muhammad in his second year was you know a guy who gave you 49% shooting overall, 39% from three, almost 14 points per game off the bench, you know advanced numbers at least like sort of the scoring you know based ones like per were actually really good he was really efficient scoring um but you know he was really bad defensively he never really actually like was you know the rpm stats like that still said he was a negative player and you just kind of worry like i mean is that is that jabari's destiny right i mean and again not to say that that guy can't be the valuable piece for you um but it's it's tough i mean what you know i think this is an interesting question like if as as everybody sort of thinks about what they want out of jabari parker and and what you know he becomes for the milwaukee bucks you know think about what is the realistic sort of role and outcome for jabari right um what does that look like you know if if you think he should start you know and should take the snell slash jason terry role and middleton should play shooting guard which has happened in the past right we've seen jabari chris and Giannis all play together um you know, what, what do you think he's going to do? I mean, with Giannis being a really high volume elite level scorer, Chris, obviously being a guy that can score at a high level efficiently, Bledsoe being a guy that can, you know, also score, you know, again, certainly more than he's not just like some sort of caretaker game manager type point guard. He scores a lot. Um, 
And I'm sure, you know, a lot of the theory would be, well, let's take away some of those bad mid-rangers from, from Chris and, and Bledsoe and even Giannis. But, um, that's, that's tough. You know, that's, that's a tough thing to do in principle. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Again, they, these are all sort of these things that obviously are going to have to be wrestled with kind of heading into the summer, but certainly it was certainly a bit of a letdown. Yeah. To see Jabari come out and, you know, really, I mean, again, I don't think, you know, for the fatigue argument, I mean, he, he didn't do anything in the first half either in that game on Friday. Right. So, you know, to see him kind of come out and not really look to make an impact was kind of a letdown. And, um, again, he's obviously had much better games other than that one when he's been coming off the bench, but, um, but we'll see. I mean, you gotta you gotta feel like he's more than just a six man if to to start thinking about the kind of you know dollar dollar values that we've heard talked about for Jabari this summer. And again, it's it's tough because I don't even know if we're gonna see much of that. And I think I think our friend Dean Mania tweeted out that Jabari has only played 16 minutes all year with Bledsoe, Middleton, Giannis, and John Henson. And I guess you know probably the more relevant thing would be the number of minutes he's played with. Bledsoe, Middleton, and and Giannis, but um, it, it's it's still pretty tough to evaluate him because again, I think the best use of him isn't necessarily the best way to evaluate him for for the long term. Yeah, the the balance of trying to figure things out that you want to know versus putting him in a spot where he can thrive versus how you're going to win this game. Like I think it's all really really interesting stuff so we'll have to keep an eye on that and and try to figure out exactly uh what will happen there uh bucks next game is at the los angeles clippers on tuesday night that's a tnt game then they go to at golden state on thursday night that's a tnt game uh then a back-to-back so at the los angeles lakers on friday night and then sunday on the road at denver so that's a a four-game road trip coming up and we'll break all of it down and we'll talk a little bit about the Clippers coming up in the next little while. Um, but anything else you wanted to get from this weekend? I think overall a positive weekend, you beat one crappy team, you beat one good team, uh, the level of good, I think you could debate, but still you beat a good team. And I think you have a game where that this one against the Spurs, where you can point to it and say, Hey, sometimes we can get it together. And sometimes we can, actually like play good defense at times and we can actually play good offense and uh, i mean i think you would hope that they shouldn't need a reminder but maybe that this team has a reminder that oh we can actually play very good basketball um and and you hope they can have that going forward anything else you wanted to touch on frank yeah so uh with the win the bucks get to 23 and 15 the 23 win mark is the same one they've had the last three seasons uh for some reason they always go 23 and 18 so uh, if they can win at least one of their final three play uh, home games uh they will have uh, finally kind of busted through that but um we also talked about you know again to be a team in the high 40s maybe threaten 50 wins you need to really win be winning two-thirds of your home games and again even the, the bucks when they're final three they're only going to get to 26 and 15 so um 27 28 wins is really what you have to get to at least to get to that higher mark no shock though obviously this team is not you know on any sort of pace to to win in the high 40s at this point um so that's not surprising 
but the good news from the standings perspective, the Heat lose uh, on Sunday in Indiana in overtime. Um, that puts the Bucks just barely into the seventh spot. They're at 39 and 34. The Heat 39 and 35. Also, the Heat have the tiebreaker, so you know that's that's big. They have they can't they can't be even with the Heat. They have to beat them this season. Um, the Wizards are in six at 40 and 32. So the Wizards only a game and a half up. But remember, they also um, at this point would have the tiebreaker due to a better conference record than the Bucks. So, um, so again, important, especially with this road trip coming up. We'll talk about um, that the Bucks sort of scratch and claws out as many wins as possible because certainly that seven spot with a Celtics team seemingly locked into the number two spot and now possibly out, uh, possibly without Kyrie Irving in the first round of the playoffs. Um, man, the carrot to finish seventh versus eighth is. Uh, is is about as big as uh, certainly I would have expected it ever to be. Certainly the Celtics were not a team I would have wanted necessarily, but right now they're a team that uh, is is looking a lot more appealing than than maybe previously. All right, that's going to be it for us for today. Uh, like I said, good Bucks weekend. They are able to beat the San Antonio Spurs, one hundred six one hundred three on Sunday. They beat the Chicago Bulls one eighteen one hundred five on Friday night. For Frank, I'm Eric. This has been Lockdown Bucks, and we will talk to you tomorrow to get you ready for the Clippers. See you later. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.